Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. I'm Peter McCulley. Exploring the health impacts of wildfires was the theme of one of the plenary sessions held at the recent Union of British Columbia Municipalities meeting. The 2023 BC wildfire season has been declared the most destructive ever recorded based on square kilometers burned. Wildfires ravaged communities, put lives at risk, and created a host of negative health impacts. Attended by mayors and councillors from across the province, the session explores health impacts, both physical and mental, and some of the ongoing research, as well as strategies to help protect our communities. There is also a short Q&A at the end of the presentations. The session was edited for time and content. The opening address from Adrian Dix, Minister of Health from the province of British Columbia. The session was hosted by Councillor Jen Ford of the Resort Municipality of Whistler. I want to begin by truly and sincerely thanking each of you who spent countless hours this season on the front lines dealing with what was the most destructive wildfire season ever recorded. With wildfires intensifying throughout the summer, and with so much of the province burning, many of you also experienced a great deal of wildfire smoke. Today we're going to examine that smoke as a part of a discussion on the primary health impacts associated with wildfires. We've got three excellent speakers to help guide us through today's discussion, beginning with the Honourable Adrian Dix, Minister of Health. A strong advocate for public health, Adrian has served as Minister of Health and Minister for Francophone Affairs since July of 2017. In that role, he has helped lead BC's response to the continuing COVID-19 pandemic. Adrian was raised in Vancouver and is a UBC graduate. Thank you very much, and it's an honour to be here at the UBCM on the territories of the Musqueam, of the Squamish, of the Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. It's nice to be here in this big hall. So last year in Whistler, I, I was on a panel. I said, oh, I'm on a panel, that's, that's good. And I walked in and it was the big hall. It shows that you can be fooled every year because this year I was on a panel, I walked in and I'm in the big hall. So it's good, it's good to see all of you and such a really significant turnout for a subject that is, I think, central to the issues that we're dealing with as citizens of our communities, of citizens of BC, of Canada and of the world. I just wanted to put a little bit in context because I think our other speakers are going to talk specifically about health impacts and about climate change. And I think it is beyond question. We are dealing with and seeing the profound impacts of that when we're talking about wildfires. I want to talk a little bit and hopefully we'll have the opportunity to have an exchange in the questions and answers about the health system impacts and the community health impacts of the wildfire season we have just seen and repeated wildfire seasons we've seen over the last number of years. You will know that this year in BC, just in long-term care, just to put this in context in terms of evacuations, the Interior Health Authority principally with the assistance of the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority and the Fraser Health Authority evacuated from long-term care 988 residents. That in 2021, the last time we saw that kind of major displacement, only two years ago, of course, the number was 895. And that in 2017, we saw that impact in the city of Williams Lake, for example, 
where five long-term care homes were evacuated and essentially everybody at our level two hospital, Caribou Memorial Hospital in that community and many other communities in the region. So this issue of evacuation in healthcare, my friend Lauren Darkson here, and he knows the profound and long-lasting impact on that community of what happened in that year. So what we are seeing across health authorities, and I think it's often because long-term care, which has been so central in our discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic, is sometimes not at the center of our debate. What that means, 985 people, majority of whom were evacuated in one week by Interior Health in uh, August of this year, each and every one of those cases is a challenging case for the healthcare system. And this is not an easy time, I think we can all acknowledge this, for the healthcare system. This summer, healthcare system did more surgeries than it had ever done before. It had broken and smashed all the records for surgeries. 4,600 more surgeries than had ever been done in July and August before. And in acute care, setting aside the wildfires, an average of 600 more people in acute care, in hospital, admitted inpatient in acute care than typically happen in summer, sometimes as much as 900 more than happened in summer. So the healthcare system was doing more emergency room visits, more people in hospital, dramatically more surgeries because of the surgical renewal plan we put in place, and was treating significantly more people everywhere in a time of year that typically is a down time of year, a slightly down time of year, a time of year when disproportionately people would take vacations. We were doing more, and on top of this, now, a common feature of every summer will be the impact of wildfires on our healthcare facilities and people who are the most vulnerable in society. First of all, people in long-term care, then people in assisted living, then people being supported in community. I want you to understand the significance of that decision and what it means for the health system. Because the vast majority now, the significant majority of people living in long-term care are living with dementia. So that decision to move people, when there are other significant things facing their lives, is a profound decision and puts profound pressure on healthcare workers in general. The, the group of people in question being moved, being taken out of routine, being taken away from what they expect. And sometimes when they're moved as far as Vancouver or as Williams Lake in the case of the most recent wildfires in and around the central Okanagan, in that case away from potentially family visits and so on. It is an immensely difficult thing for the people living in long-term care. And then on top of that, you have the impact on the healthcare workers themselves because every single one of them, every single one of them are living in the communities and dealing with the same smoke and the same evacuation challenges that you see everywhere else. And you have the stories that we received. We heard them in 2017 around the displacements then and in 2021 and in 2023. The very healthcare workers who are there to maintain stability and have a very strong program to maintain stability as people are evacuated are themselves in their own lives facing profound challenges. Can you imagine continuing to work and caring for people away from your home, traveling with them while your own home is in jeopardy? It is an extraordinary thing for our healthcare community to have done that and achieved that, I think, requires from me and from everyone in the province gratitude and appreciation. And then there's the broader impact, I think, 
on families and communities, those that are living and who have family members in long-term care. And it is one element of the challenge, but it is a significant one. And to think that this year it was almost a 1,000 people, and there's no expectation that this will not happen in future, requires us to continue to advance our understanding. Because when you're evacuating from long-term care, you have a different standard than a broader evacuation because it requires a lot of time and care and effort by ambulances, by care home employees, by everyone. Everyone this year, I have to say, did an exceptional job under very difficult circumstances. But that planning, in addition to everything else that occurs in summer, particularly in interior health and northern health, but in other health authorities, are going to become part of the broader effort. And it's part of a broader community challenge we see with vulnerable people in wildfire, because those people who are most profoundly affected by the issues around displacement are the same people who have the most challenges with respiratory illnesses, the most challenges often with mental health and addictions and other problems. So you see that across the health system. And I say to you, what's required, of course, and we're going to speak of that, is profound and fundamental change with respect to climate change. What's required, of course, is the improvement in systems that we are seeing in response to these issues. But what's required, in addition to that, is an increasing building out of our healthcare system. It's why we need, if we're going to function this way with intensity, more intensity perhaps in July and August in interior health than any other months of the year now, is going to require a building out and a health human resources plan that adds people to our healthcare system. And that is what we have. This year alone, we've added 5,400 net new nurses to our system. And if you go to any hospital in British Columbia, and I've been to 23 and visit with staff this summer, Nobody thinks that's enough. Nobody thinks that's close to enough. So we have to continue to make that effort in every level, training more people, it's our obligation to train people, ensuring that more internationally educated healthcare workers come here. We're gonna break and shatter all the records with respect to that, and supporting our healthcare workers and communities. And that means as they face these challenges, these challenges of working and with respect to wildfires in their health facility or moving with residents in a long-term care home or waiting and working and taking people dealing with respiratory issues in an emergency room while their own home is in jeopardy, we need to provide more and better supports to healthcare workers. So all of this, I would suggest, is what's required. Action on climate change, action to increase the resilience of our community, recognition for what was an exceptional summer of achievement by healthcare workers, by healthcare professionals in BC, and continued building out and support for our public healthcare system. Our system operates 365, 24 hours, but it used to have ups and downs, flows and dips. This issue is fundamental to our system resiliency, and it's going to require all of us to act together. So I just want to finish by expressing my gratitude to communities around BC and the supports they gave at evacuation centers, supports for people, healthcare workers who work in community and support people receiving care in community. Finally, of course, all of those directly fighting the fires. We grieve for losses this year, but we understand, I think, what it meant for people, what it means for people when we come together as community. So I want to thank all of you 
I think we have work to do, and the Premier has indicated this in terms of better preparedness. But what we're dealing with now is a new reality with respect to wildfires in BC and will require continued increase in resources for a public health care system to respond to it. I think our folks did a tremendous job this summer, but we are going to have to face this again and again. And that means building our resiliency stronger and stronger. Thank you, and I look forward to taking your questions. When Today in BC continues, we'll listen into Ermel Castellan, a warning preparedness meteorologist, and Dr. Angela Yeo, a senior scientist in environmental health services. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. I'm Peter McCulley. Once again, here is Councillor Jen Ford as she introduces speakers exploring the health impacts of wildfires. Our second speaker is Armel Castellan, a warning preparedness meteorologist at the Meteorological Service of Canada, Environment and Climate Change Canada. Armel works with emergency management organizations in all orders of government to inform decision making. He describes himself as residing at the pointy end of the stick, where climate change projections meet real-time, high-impact forecasting. Armel's career is focused on customized weather and climate information for emergency preparedness and response, and climate and weather interpretation and risk communication. Thank you very much. Just thinking about the ripple effect of uh, this summer and so many summers in the past four over the last seven years. just really incredible. I'd like to just add the commentary around climate change and the people who are most affected. It's the people of the north. It's the people who are remote, arguably rural. Our First Nations, our Inuit, our Métis, who are going to be facing the brunt of almost anything we're talking about in this convention and any other time, really. Uh, my name is Armel Castellan. I'm a warning preparedness meteorologist, and I work uh, out of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples known as the Songhees and Esquimalt. The heat dome of 2021 didn't spare anybody. This event was anomalous. It was something we have actually never seen before. And the attribution studies struggled to actually put a return period on something like this because we could not. What we could say is that it, of course, was way more probable in this new climate. But beyond that, it was obviously a calamity happening at Stolstice during a pandemic and with very much the, the kind of the earliness of the event at Solstice rather than later in July or in August when we typically see that kind of warmth. So why am I here? I'm here because you can't afford not to listen to the meteorologists. We are telling you it comes from an evolved climate, a changed climate, a changing climate, and high-impact weather, and how it affects the, the files of Minister Dixon and every other ministry, to be honest. What we saw there was conditions that were created that didn't release any ability for the heat to move, and it stuck around for so many days. And unfortunately, national records for all of Canada being broken. And so it was very statistical. It was very, you know, rah-rah, we're the hottest place on earth right now, essentially, when really what was happening was obviously a human calamity with upwards of 700 people dying. And of course, 90% of a community being burnt down, as well as the, the beginning of a summer of smoke again. 
And as I mentioned, four of the last seven years have been essentially of this ilk. 150 times more, 50 times more probable than in a previous pre-industrial climate. So that's where we're at today. And where are we going? We are on a trajectory. I never want to hear the phrase new normal again from any media because this is not a step function. We're not just reaching this level and then staying at these levels of high impact weather. We are on a trajectory and this will, in a few short decades, seem like a walk in the park. Four and a half months later, we're hit with a very wet season on a drought-stricken forest, drought-stricken landscape, burn scars affecting such a big proportion of British Columbia. And what happened? Well, we saw uh, fatalities from the mudslides. We saw flooding, aging infrastructure. We saw an enormous uh, event that, again, defied a little bit the idea of putting a return period. And that's part and parcel of climate projections. We know that atmospheric rivers, strong events like this, of course are going to continue to happen 20 to 30 per given year, but the strongest ones are going to get stronger and they're going to last longer. So this is something that we need to understand is going to affect the summer period because they interact. And that's really my point, is that none of these are variables individually. Uh, effect we saw in 2021 when the event would have been quite different without the heat, without the drought, without the fires, without the smoke. We have the drought that's been affecting our landscape for many of the last few years, but in very strong uh, signal since September, October of 2022. So this summer started last summer, essentially, is what I'm saying. Then we have a heat wave. Again, the heat wave we saw in May of this year was very anomalous, was record-breaking. We were getting July temperatures in the month of May. And what happened? We got the fires to start in the Northeast, in particular, Alberta, Northwest Territories, and soon Quebec, Nova Scotia, coast to coast. And then, of course, what we're here to really get down to is the poor air quality affecting BC, affecting the prairies, going into New York, Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, over to Europe. Just like we inherit Siberian smoke every summer, they inherit Canadian smoke every summer too. So just a quick word about climate projections. They'll just really focus in on the, the heat, the summer heat, and the, long, the length of the dryness that we're seeing. In this particular year, 2023, a perfect example of seeing summer start early and last until now and even then some. Fires are still growing. The summer is not over. I love these two quotes because they show kind of the narrowness of meteorology in that in my lifetime this moment will be talked about for centuries as an operational meteorologist I know. Will it or Will Robert Brule from Brown University, more of a climatological perspective, say that it will not be talked about for centuries? These records will fall as climate change accelerates. This will be a mild version of what we can expect in the future. Looking back to 2022, that's when this drought really started for this year. Looking at the drought intensity, we go from late 2021 when we're replenished, we've got lots of water in the system, and things just go in one direction all the way through to late August, showing most of Western Canada under a drought intensity that would be exceptional, if not extreme. May 2023, those July temperatures, I would argue that yes, this was early enough, the, the nights were long enough that we didn't see the extreme temperatures as we did in 2021. 
and so the human health was not as affected. However, the indirect implication to human health from such an early start to the wildfire season that drags on till today continues to be the health implications that Minister Dix just spoke of. Natural Resource Canada, this should not be a surprise to anybody who's followed the news. Uh, and Minister Dix, you did a great job explaining how unprecedented this wildfire season was, not just in a BC context, but also nationally, seeing the numbers of hectares burnt just eclipse and then some uh, so early in the season and all the way through to today. So really looking at a national-wide, if not hemispheric, in nature. And then smoke. So beyond the drought, the heat, the lightning-caused, human-caused fires is the smoke. And I have to think back to a very powerful moment in my early career when Dr. Claire Moisey came to the front desk at the Smithers Ministry of Environment when I was working there, and he tore a strip in me. We definitely didn't have our best forecast. We're putting out ventilation indexes, and we want to get it right so that nobody is breathing in all that smoke. And he tore a strip in me nonetheless because we made a mistake. It could have been a better ventilation forecast. And he reminded me that as a pediatrician, he is seeing asthmatics go through the roof, small children, premature births, early morbidity, et cetera, et cetera. And this is symbolic because we're talking about the Bulkley Valley, small community, small uh, population base, dealing with smoke in the fall, winter months when people are burning wood. But now we're talking about this on such an enormous scale where we are talking about smoke not just in those months and not just for small communities in the interior, but everybody in Vancouver, Kelowna, Kamloops, et cetera. New York City getting smoked out mostly from the Quebec fires. Maybe there's a silver lining there. When New York gets affected, then the headlines are that much stronger. And then a little later in August, when the southern two-thirds of the province are in particulate matter hell, where streetlights are turning on because there's so much of a high concentration uh, that the, the streetlights thinks it's night. Williams Lake, Fort Nelson, numbers of hours of smoke at the airport measured 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time. The observer saw 383 hours in this summer alone from May through to today. In Fort Nelson, 872 hours. I just did a back of the envelope calculation. That represents over 25% of the hours between May 1st and today. That's over a quarter of your, your breath, essentially night or day. Penticton. All the big smoke hours are in the last uh, several years, and same with Cranbrook. So nobody is escaping this, is my point. Looking at the total number of days of air quality alerts uh, across the, the country, it's stretched right across the country into Quebec, into part, and most of the northern prairies, up into uh, the Great Slave region. This has been an unbelievably smoky summer, and, and I would argue spring. In June, upwards of 1,400 special air quality statements across the country. And shifting to today, as I mentioned, we've got air quality health index up into the high, very high category. Uh, a mention about the collaboration with the BCDC and Health Canada in order to create the Canadian invention here, the Air Quality Health Index, AQHI. The evidence suggests that we a doubling of wildfire smoke this century due to climate change. Because I am a meteorologist, you're not going to escape this event without a little bit of a forecast. So just quickly, October, November, December here, seeing probabilities above seasonal for the three-month output over BC, a little bit stronger further east you go. But that said, the caveat is that the skill score for this particular season, the fall, is the lowest of the year. A tricky forecast, but one that hopefully doesn't materialize. I hope we get this one wrong, honestly. 
And finally, El Nino's on the way, so it's already started. We are definitely going to be seeing it reach a strength that is a, a strong element. And as, as a result of that, what does it mean for the North American palate come December through March when it shows itself? It means really a warmer, milder winter and early spring. And those are things that we actually can hang our hats on for once. So thank you, merci. Our third and final presenter is Dr. Angela Yao a senior scientist at the Environmental Health Services in the BC Centre for Disease Control. She has been working on research, surveillance, and knowledge translation on the population health impacts of wildfire smoke for over 10 years, such as downstream effects, smoke exposure, and actions that can be taken to help mitigate the effects. Thank you very much for having me here to talk about the downstream public health impacts of wildfire smoke. And I hope all of you are now convinced that wildfire and wildfire smoke is here to stay and it is something that we will need to learn to live with. That smoke can really be widespread and really dispersed and cover the entire continent regardless of how far away it is from the actual fire. And wildfire smoke has become one of the most important contributor to extreme air pollution events in BC. Wildfire smoke is a very complex mixture of different gases and particles. Among them, fine particulate matter, which we also call PM2.5, is the most uh, commonly measured and studied. These very small particles can travel long distance in air and it can get really deep into our lungs when we breathe them in. It can create inflammations in our lungs and also systemic inflammations that can affect other parts of our bodies. There is a very common misunderstanding that the health effects of air pollution is always proportional or linear to the level of exposure. But that's simply just not what we have observed so far. The actions that we need to take to protect health from the, the impact of wildfire smoke should really start when it first starts to get smoky, not to wait until it gets extremely smoky when most of the health effects would have had happened already. My PhD thesis looks at the relationship between ambulance dispatch for breathing problems and levels of PM2.5 measured in hours. So the largest impact on ambulance dispatch was actually observed at the first few hours of exposure. And that effect actually decreased over time. So that really speaks to the, the really immediate impact of wildfire smoke on our health. So far, the most pronounced health effects we have observed from wildfire smoke exposure is on respiratory conditions. But the impacts go well beyond just respiratory conditions. It's associated with increased in cardiovascular outcomes like nitroglycerin dispensations, which is a commonly used drug for heart attack, um, and also physician visits and uh, mortality related to cardiovascular causes. It's a really interesting study done in the U.S. where they use the data from uh, Neumosity, which is uh, an online 
platform online app that people can play games to test or to train their cognitive function like memory or attention. What they found in this study was that increased exposure to wildfire smoke-related PM2.5 was significantly associated with decreased scores in attention-related games. So that suggests that there may be some impact from wildfire smoke on our brain and on our cognitive function. There has been quite consistent evidence on some of the birth outcomes after prenatal exposure. There are a couple of studies that found babies who were exposed as fetuses during pregnancy were born with lower birth weight compared with babies who were not exposed on average. There's also a really recent study that finds that babies who were exposed during pregnancy in some critical windows were more likely to be diagnosed of ear or respiratory infections in their first year of life. And they are more likely to use antibiotics because of those infections. That's actually a very important finding because we know that antibiotic use during early life is on its own a risk factor for developing immune system related uh, diseases such as asthma, allergies, or even obesity. So this suggests that wildfire smoke exposure, prenatal exposure, may create such a secondary hazard to our health and may have long lasting impacts. A study done in California where they followed several cohorts of monkeys who were exposed to wildfire smoke as infants. And what they found was that these exposed infants, their lungs never grew as big as the monkeys who were not exposed, even when they reached adolescent years after their exposure. So these studies really suggest that there can be this lifelong impact from wildfire smoke exposure. A couple of recent studies have looked at the relationship between wildfire smoke, long-term exposure, and cancer incidence. The, the evidence on this is a bit less conclusive as this is uh, an emerging field, but we will not be that surprised if that relationship can be established given what we know about PM2.5 or air pollution from other sources. So what should we do? We have been dealing with air pollution from other sources for uh, quite a long time now, and we have made significant progress, mostly by controlling the source emissions. But now we have to deal with wildfire smoke, which is very different kind of exposure, one that we have much less control over its source. So we need a different strategy, and I believe that the key to this strategy is to prepare our communities and individuals with plans and tools that can help them reduce their exposure. For example, we should get our buildings, especially our public buildings, ready for smoke with adequate air filtration and air ventilation systems. 
Vancouver Coastal Health had a project to monitor the air quality inside and outside some of the public buildings. And this building with adequate air filtration system, not the best filtration system, but adequate one, actually can reduce significantly the level of exposure indoor. Buildings with these system or assessment of these buildings and retrofit or adapt their system to be smoke ready can really be a readily available cleaner air space for our community members. And for buildings without a built-in air filtration system, we know that portable heaper air cleaners work, and not only the commercially available ones work, but also these do-it-yourself air cleaners constructed with simple box fan and furnace filters actually work similarly as their commercial units and can be a much more affordable options. Because the impact of wildfire smoke comes really quickly immediately and starts at really low levels, what we need is for communities, organizations, and individuals to have a plan and have all the tools ready well ahead before the wildfire smoke season starts. For example, our schools should have a plan to decide where or how they can create cleaner air space indoor and also when and how they can modify some of the, the outdoor physical activities in school. And event organizers, especially outdoor event organizers, should have a plan on what to do if their event is going to be impacted by wildfire smoke. And at the individual level, people, especially people with conditions that make them more vulnerable to these exposures, should have a personal action plan. For example, there's a template that's developed for people who are with asthma. So ultimately, I think having a plan and be prepared with all the tools is how we can build resilience, both mentally and physically, against the health impact of wildfire smoke. Thank you to all three of you for your presentations. That's excellent. After hearing these presentations, you get the sense that all of our speakers could probably tell us a whole lot more, but we only have a limited amount of time. So uh, with that, I would like to go to our Slido questions. Uh, here we go. Other countries use cloud seeding as a method to put out wildfires quickly. Is there scientific evidence showing the effectiveness of cloud seeding? So great question, and uh, of course we like to look at geoengineering to solve all our problems, but the truth of the matter is the Chinese have been trying to use this technology. We have in the prairies attempts at putting hydrometeors or rain in the prairie crops over the summer period for years without real value or at least not measurable value. In the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, the Chinese were trying to seed the clouds early so that it wasn't going to rain on, I believe it's called the nest. And again, it's, it's almost a laughing stock in the academic community. So it, of course there's some potential in geoengineering, but I think we have easier solutions right across the board before we go there. Fascinating metrics on cognitive function. Are health authorities tracking and monitoring the impacts of wildfire on mental health, stress, anxiety, and depression? I think it's fair to say uh, that, and uh, we've seen this, I think, uh, we've seen a profound impact at every level of evacuation 
the impact can be profound. At the level of loss, it is profound, and we take some steps to do that. And part of the work that health authorities do at evacuation centers is to provide psychological supports because they're needed in the moment and then thereafter. In addition to that, obviously, the longstanding impact of climate change, whether it be extreme heat, other weather circumstances, or uh, smoke, can profoundly impact our mental health, not just in, at the level that Dr. Yao has expressed, but just in the disruption in this time, in this decade of disruption to our lives. So we are expecting and planning for long-term impacts at all these levels in terms of respiratory illness, in terms of mental health, in terms of effect on community and how we live together in community. In the initial instance, we see in every occasion people coming together in an inspiring way, and we saw that this summer. But the long-standing impacts are there, and I absolutely agree that has to be, in addition to other impacts of climate change, in addition to what we've seen with respect to pandemic and what we're seeing with respect to the overdose public health emergency. These require a long-standing buildup of resources and giving people the means in their own lives to respond to these issues. And that, I think, the health authorities in their work are doing a good job in terms of giving those resources to individuals. But I think, obviously, the system challenge, this is another thing that is going to drive utilization of the system. When we say utilization of the system, we mean that people are going to be dealing with the health impacts and essentially getting sicker, and we'll have to respond to that. But maybe I'll throw it over to you. Thank you, Minister. Yeah, so how we are going to track these outcomes? Great question. We're definitely looking for ways to track these mental health-related health outcomes, either from some of the data that's readily available as like administrative health data, the healthcare use, mental health, not just for wildfire or wildfire smoke, but also other climate change-related hazards. This is definitely a relatively new field for us, but that's definitely some of the priorities in our work at the BCCDC as well. There's also research or efforts to see whether we can also use more kind of qualitative methods, storytellings that really can help us understand the mental health impact of these hazards. Thank you. How will El Nino affect the probability for precipitation and winter snowpack accumulation? Recent early season heat has rapidly increased snowmelt. It sure has. Unfortunately for uh, even strong El Nino phenomena, uh, so recent examples like the 2015-2016 winter and before that in 98, there's a lot of noise when it comes to the precipitation signal. So we have had drier mostly but we've also had wetter El Nino winters. So it's, it, the jury's still out, and we honestly can only see about a week and a half into the future as far as precipitation is concerned. Statistically, it's, it's a bit of a toss-up, and there are bigger implications further south into the U.S. and, of course, over Greenland in an El Nino event when there's already so much melting. If they're not going to be impacting our neck of the woods, they're going to, in fact, impact somewhere for sure. Thank you. This concludes today's plenary session. I would like to thank Minister Dix, Armel Castellan, and Dr. Yao for an informative and thought-provoking session. That's this edition of Today in BC. We hope you found this podcast informative, exploring the health impacts of wildfires in British Columbia. 
was the theme of one of the sessions held at the recent Union of British Columbia Municipalities. If you have suggestions or comments, send us a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know. 